And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everyone, hope your week is off to a great start. Baseball's off-season, off to a bigger start than we've become used to, and it's been excellent to see, really. Tim McMaster here, along with Ken Rosenthal, for the mailbag edition of the Athletic Baseball Show. The money was flowing at the winter meetings. It has continued to flow. In fact, trades are jumping into things now as well. And Ken, we started to record this podcast. We stopped and now we're basically doing a new podcast because in the time that we stopped, uh, basically an hour, there's a major trade, another major signing. This is the hot stove the way we like it. So let's just jump into that and the fact that the winter meetings were were wild with Verlander signing, Judge signing, and everything went that went down in San Diego. And it has just continued forward here as we head into the new year. No doubt, Tim. And Two big moves, as you said today. Sean Murphy to the Braves. That's a trade, perhaps the biggest trade we've seen thus far. And Chris Bassett to the Blue Jays. Three years, $63 million, limited no-trade clause, pending a physical. That's a great move for the Jays, in my opinion. Now, I'll go through each one of these, and I'll start with the big trade. I can't assess prospects the way Keith Law does. That's not my area of expertise, but I'll try to break this down as best I can. About 11 days ago, I heard that the Braves were interested in Sean Murphy, and I asked some people about it and was told, yeah, they're just kind of checking in. They could always trade some of their own catching depth. They had three catchers at the time, Darno, William Contreras, and Manny Pena. And perhaps maybe if something aligned, they'd be able to figure it out and it would work for them. Sean Murphy's the kind of player they love, three years of control, the kind of guy who probably will sign an extension if they offer him a fair deal. So from that perspective, it was clear why the Braves would want Sean Murphy, even though this wasn't a need for them. As I said, they had the three catchers. Now, the way the trade evolved, it wasn't team to team, Oakland and Atlanta. Milwaukee joined the mix as well. As it turned out, the Braves resolved their catching logjam. They send Contreras to the Brewers. They send Manny Pena to the A's. And they also included some prospects in this deal as well of varying qualities. The Salinas kid, great year at A-ball. He's a pitcher. Kyle Muller, his stock has fallen a little bit. He goes to Oakland as well. Freddie Tannock, a pitching prospect with some pedigree and a chance, it would seem. The most interesting part about the trade, other than, of course, Sean Murphy going to the Braves, for me was the Brewers getting away with just trading one player, Esturi Ruiz, for William Contreras and two other players, one a pitching prospect from the Braves, the other reliever, Joel Piamps, from the Oakland A's. Now, Esturi Ruiz is an interesting guy. 
If you remember, he was part of the Josh Hader trade. Went from San Diego to Milwaukee. Last year in the minor leagues, at AA and AAA, 447 on-base percentage, 85 stolen bases in 99 attempts. He probably is the best player going back to Oakland. And he is someone that, obviously, the way this deal came together, the way the evaluations were made, he was worth William Contreras and two others. So that's an interesting addition for the A's. You're going to hear varying accounts, as we always do, on how the A's did for Sean Murphy. They were looking for at least two quality players and more. They are going to say that they got that. Others might disagree. Again, I'll leave that to Keith. But that's a huge move for Atlanta. A surprising move for Alex Anthopoulos, who does these things, it seems, all the time. But again, I did hear about this 11 days ago. I just never thought it would get as real as it did. The other move today, as we record on Monday, much more traditional, a free agent signing. Three years, $63 million, as I said earlier, for Chris Bassett. Joins a Blue Jays rotation that already includes Alec Manoa, Kevin Gossman, and Jose Barrios. That's a pretty good-looking rotation. Kikuchi would be the fifth starter as of now. They still can do some other things, the Blue Jays. They need a left-handed hitter. We've been saying this for how long now? But this move does help them quite a bit. Now, Bassett had a qualifying offer. The Blue Jays will lose a draft pick as a result of signing him. Some international bonus pool space as well. But you have to like that move for the Blue Jays. And going forward, their rotation should be good enough to keep them very strong in that American League East. They've also added Kevin Kiermeyer, but as I said, they need more offense. Remember, they've subtracted Teoscar Hernandez in that trade with the Mariners. I'd like to see them do a little bit more. So, as we sit here on December 12th, 19 of the top 25 free agents, according to the Athletics' Jim Bowden, Jim does that list every year, 19 of them are signed, 19 of 25. The only remaining free agents in the top 25 who are unsigned according to Bowden, are Carlos Correa at number four, Carlos Rodon at number seven, Dansby Swanson at number nine, Nathan Evaldi, another pitcher with a qualifying offer, number 13, Andrew Benintendi at number 17, Michael Conforto, number 21. There are other teams still with work to do. We've talked about the Cubs quite a bit. They are looking seriously at Dansby Swanson. They've already signed Jamison Tyone, Cody Bellinger. Swanson would be a good addition for them. They're also looking at catching help. The Red Sox, well, they fortified their bullpen, they think, with Chris Martin, Kenley Jansen, and Joely Rodriguez. They've signed the outfielder from Japan, Masataka Yoshida, gave him $90 million, a move that has been widely panned by Keith Law and others. And they are still looking for a starting pitcher. Perhaps a reunion with Evaldi will be on tap. And they need a bat. That bat could be in the middle infield, could be a Carlos Correa. They also could use an outfielder or first base type. They have work to do. And finally, there are the Giants. The Giants have added Mitch Hanniger, Sean Manaya in their latest deal, and they retained Jock Peterson on a qualifying offer. But they struck out on Judge. They've struck out on others as well. They've got money to burn, and I would expect they too will be in the mix strongly for Correa. We've got the Yankees still looking to add. Rodon might be in the mix for them. Perhaps Benintendi as well. Yep. Perhaps one of the young Diamondbacks outfielders who are available in trade. As I've written, the Diamondbacks have a surplus 
of left-handed hitting center fielders. It's an odd thing to have, but they've got like four of them. So they can make a deal, and they're in good position to do that. The Astros, the World Series champions, they've been looking at Benintendi, Conforto, Michael Brantley. So there's still plenty to do. But as we sit here on December 12th, an awful lot has happened already. More than usual, based on the last few off-seasons. Now, a couple of them, of course, were disrupted for one reason or another. A lockout, pandemic, whatever you might have it. But if you go back a few years to when Bryce Harper and Manny Machado were free agents, those guys lingered on the market until February. I don't expect we're going to see that happen again with Correa or anyone else for that matter. Again, 19 of the 25 Top free agents, according to Jim Bowden, already are off the board. 19 of 25. That's a big number. That's a lot of work that has already been done this offseason. There are still some trades to come. There's still some action. But, wow, there's been plenty to digest so far. Yeah, and I think it's great for the fans because instead of waiting till February to see your team come together, suddenly you can start talking about lineups and everything because your team already made the big move here before uh, before the calendar actually turns. So very cool stuff. Let's move on to the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved down the road, this is our last mailbag of 2022, but we'll be gearing things back up at the beginning of next year. You can call us 646-543-7072 or email tabaseballshow at gmail.com. We got a ton of great questions this week coming out of the winter meetings, so I've actually put a bunch in the show, but I've also saved some. So if you don't hear your question this week, there's a good chance you might hear it down the road because they were they were so good. So let's start here. Um, and a lot of these are fallout type questions after the winter meetings, Ken, including Andrew, who's a Giants fan. He says, I'm disappointed that the team lost out on Aaron Judge. He seemed like someone who could have fixed a lot of immediate problems for the team, like boosting attendance and putting this team back into a playoff spot. It seems like the Giants have received the participation award from many free agents, having missed out on Greinke, Lester, Stanton, Harper, Otani, and Judge. I feel that this team is quickly becoming irrelevant in the National League playoff picture. All the teams from last year that have made the playoffs have bolstered their rosters in a big way. What will it take to fix this team? Do you think there is a reason why free agents aren't signing with the Giants? I'm not sure there is an immediate fix here. There is a lot that has happened with the Giants in recent years. They are transitioning. Buster Posey retired after the 21 season. Longoria and Belt will not be on the team after last season. They've, they're gone now. They're free agents. So it's a different looking team for sure. It's a team that is somewhat without an identity, without a player you can look at and say, wow, okay, he's the guy we're building around or looking to for extremely good performance or leadership over the next several years. Judge would have been that guy. Now, I always felt, and I believe most people who follow the game felt, that the Giants were, while sincere and serious about Judge, always were a long shot. That was just the reality of it, and that's how it played out. The Yankees, in the end, bid what they needed to bid to keep Aaron Judge. So, as I mentioned, the Giants have agreed with Mitch Hanniger, agreed with Sean Manaya, have Jock Peterson back. He accepted the qualifying offer, but they still need quite a bit. Now, Grant Brisby wrote an interesting article in The Athletic. I believe it came out yesterday, or perhaps some other time over the weekend. 
in which he outlined a number of scenarios that would qualify as a win for the Giants going forward here. The top scenario, the best scenario was Carlos Correa, Kode Senga, who of course is not available now, and Taylor Rogers, the reliever. And he mentioned while writing that, that Carlos Rodon would fit just as well as Senga, if not better. Grant just felt that because Rodon is expected to get a six or seven year deal, that might not be the Giants' appetite. But if they indeed signed Correa, indeed signed Rodon, that goes a long way, one, toward improving the team dramatically, also to giving them an identity. And again, it's going to be a different looking group. It's not a group that you look at and say, wow, they're going to compete with the Dodgers and Padres. Not right now. And we might not get to that point. Let's face it at this point. But they have a collection of players who can be contributing quality players, but not necessarily the kind that produce a, what, 107-win season again. And in that season, you remember in 21, Crawford played out of his mind. Belt and Longoria were really good. They had a lot go right. It was Posey's last year. It was just one of those years in which everything clicked. It wasn't necessarily a team with supreme talent or star talent even. It just was a team that played really well together and did things right. How do you get back to that? It's not easy. It's not easy to have what the GMs would call a 95th percentile type year. But the Giants have to start. and They have to start building their identity back. They have to get some star quality performers to make this whole thing go. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, I mentioned the Red Sox fan base, and that's the next question. Comes from Billy. He says, I was gutted to wake up to see that the Padres signed Bogarts. It seems unfathomable after the Mookie trade that they would let it get to this point with X, and now I assume the worst when it comes to Devers as well. My question is this. Is there speculation that Fenway Sports Group could be on the verge of putting the Sox up for sale? It is getting more and more difficult to understand the direction of the franchise, and the fan base seems to be at a breaking point. They are also in the process of selling, this is uh, Fenway Sports Group, also in the process of selling Liverpool. So it made me wonder about the Sox. Anyway, thanks for the great show every week. Oh, thank you, Billy. I have not heard speculation to that effect, Billy. And yes, Liverpool is for sale. And remember, Fenway Sports Group recently bought the Pittsburgh Penguins as well. So it's not like they're taking this thing apart. And they would never take this thing apart. They might be, in Liverpool's case, and I'm just speculating here, I don't know, just simply trying to maximize the value of that franchise while they can. I would expect that's part of the logic here. The Red Sox are an immensely valuable property as well. 
that is one of the central properties, maybe the central property of the Fenway Sports Group. And I just don't see them wanting to sell. Now, the real question here, in my opinion, is if Heim Bloom doesn't do what he intends to do, which is, as he said at the winter meeting, sign seven, eight, nine free agents or add seven, eight, nine players, and those aren't the quality of players that the Red Sox need, then where do they go with Heim Bloom? Remember, they replaced Dave Dombrowski with Bloom with the idea of building long term sustainability, a franchise that would be good year after year. Instead, it's kind of been more of the same. Two last place finishes the last three years, albeit sandwiched around a great trip to the ALCS and a fantastic season. Five last place finishes, of course, in the last 12 seasons. That predates Bloom, that little run. But where are they going with this? Do they have enough young talent to do what they promised they would do under Bloom? Can they build a team that will contend again in one of baseball's toughest divisions in a matter of weeks here with most of the best free agents gone. I'm skeptical. I'll admit it. I am skeptical of whether the Red Sox can accomplish what they want to. But at the same time, the offseason is not over. Bloom is being aggressive on a number of fronts. And let's say, for example, they wind up with Correa, Ivaldi, bringing him back, plus a few other players that would really make a difference well, then you're looking at an entirely different equation for the Red Sox, perhaps. So that is what I'm looking at here. Eric is up next. He says, this is going to sound like an old man rant who can't believe what players are commanding these days. So I apologize ahead of time. When a team signs a player to a lucrative long-term deal, and that deal takes the player to ages 37 to, to ages 37 to 40, what is the team's actual expectation when the player nears the final years of that deal? I understand that from a player's perspective, it is a lock to get paid, but what is the real expectation from the team? How productive and is it pure speculation can Aaron Judge be in the final years of this deal? Is it a situation where the team hopes to get five to seven good years on an eight to 10 year deal? Does management hope that the jersey sales and the boosted ticket sales help offset the salary for a player who isn't as productive in his later years? Are we entering a new age of modified financial metrics? Eric, it's funny you put it the way you did because I've had the exact same reaction as you to many of these deals. I have felt like an old man thinking, wow, these deals are really out of line. Most of the contracts signed by free agents this offseason have been rather high. There's no question about it. Now, is it a new paradigm? I think there are several reasons for this, and I've explained them in print. The new CBA, historically in the first year of a CBA, you always see increased spending. The higher luxury tax threshold, the penalties that the union prevented from being too stiff, that also factors in each team got $30 million or could get $30 million as part of the sale of the remaining portion of BAMTech by MLB to Disney. There are all these other factors. And for that reason, you're seeing the money get spent. Now, at the same time, the questions you ask about the older players are very valid and I've had these questions myself. 11 years for Trey Turner and Xander Bogarts? Seriously? They're not going to be productive in the 11th year of those deals. There's no way. Aaron Judge probably will not be productive in the ninth year of his deal. Now, Judge is a little different. He is coming off a historic year. He is someone the Yankees had to have. And really, they were going to be willing to pay virtually any price, as we saw. 
Do they expect him to be productive for nine years? No. But in his case, it's a market-driven deal. I do not believe it's a deal driven by the fact that they're trying to stretch it out for the luxury tax like some of these other contracts because it's a $40 million annual luxury tax figure. It's not a low figure. Bogarts and Turner, much different. Those deals were stretched out, in my opinion, to lower the luxury tax numbers. And you can argue that these teams are circumventing the tax and the spirit of the rule, but that's the way it played out. Generally, when teams sign players to these long deals, what they're thinking is they'll get the extreme production in the early years of the deal, perhaps even surplus value. And what that means is value above the contract. And there are ways of calculating that value through war and other things. In the later years, yes, it's going to be ugly in many cases. But that is something the teams expect. They kind of build in for. They know it's going to get bad and probably get bad in a big way. But that's how they're doing it. That's how they're thinking. Do I expect that these contracts eventually will be the kind that we look at and say, uh, they backfired. Maybe, but the AAVs, the average annual values are low enough where in seven years, a $25 million salary in the range of where Turner and Bogarts are, they might be much more reasonable than they look right now. Yeah. When you think of 25 million, when the qualifying offer is almost 20 million, Ken, it's not... It's it's really does seem like in seven years that'll be reasonable because that might be the qualifying offer in seven years. That's exactly right, Tim. Actually, the qualifying offer might be gone in seven years in the next CBA, but you're right, and your thought is correct. The qualifying offer is based on, I forgot, the average salary of the top 100, something like that, and it increases based on the level of payroll increase and salary increase. So- the numbers generally always go up. I would expect this sport is going to continue to be very popular, even more popular in the future. So from that perspective, you can understand it. But if you're asking, as Eric is, will Trey Turner and will Xander Bogarts and will Aaron Judge be productive at age 38, 39? Mm, I have a hard time believing that. All right. Next question comes from Kenneth. He says, hey, Ken, Kenny here. And, have a, and I have a question about how long after a free agent and team agree to a contract does it become publicly known? I'm asking because on the morning of the Trey Turner deal to the Phillies, there was a report that Bogarts would be meeting with Dave Dombrowski. Then around seven hours later, the Turner deal was announced. That seems like a short amount of time for a deal of that magnitude to be worked out and makes me question if the report about Bogarts was either false or planted for some reason. So are these deals typically announced immediately or do they usually take a few hours to sneak out? No, they typically are announced, or actually the better word is reported, quite quickly after the terms are agreed upon. We have our ways of getting our hands on these deals. And in the case that you just mentioned, the Bogarts meeting, the supposed Bogarts meeting, I assume at this point it was inaccurate. Maybe it was planned at the time, at least by Bogarts' side, and they didn't know that the Turner thing was going to be announced. That's possible. I can tell you at the winter meetings, we had a story ready to go on the Padres meeting with Aaron Judge. We were holding it until 9 a.m. at the request of one of the sources. We had no idea Aaron Judge was going to agree with the Yankees that night. We thought we were sitting on a major story. So things do change, and it's possible that is all that happened there. But to answer your question, yes, the deals generally are reported fairly quickly. Sometimes 
in the case of a player who has a very difficult physical situation, maybe coming off a surgery, the agent and the team will take great care not to let the news out because they want to make sure the physical goes okay. If a physical does not go okay and the news is public, let's say player X signs with the Yankees and it's pending a physical and then we find out he needs some kind of surgery or perhaps even less than that. He has some kind of condition. Who knows? That will diminish the player's value in the marketplace. So those particular deals are protected much more so than players who are presumed to be healthy. All right, Hillel has a question about the posting system. He says, with Japanese players like Senga and Yoshida signing uh, deals, I was wondering why Japanese teams post a player. Besides the posting fee, they are losing an incredible player. So what benefit does it serve them? And how much of it is the player's choice and how much is the team's? Well, Hillel, first of all, Senga was a free agent, pure free agent. And in the Japanese game, you have to wait nine years to be an international free agent. He qualified. Yoshida was different. He was posted by his team, the Oryx Buffaloes, and the posting fee amounted to $15.4 million. So for the Red Sox, it's a $105.4 million outlay. Why would a team do that? $15.4 million, first of all, is a lot of money, right? But also, it seems to me, and I don't know this because I'm not an expert on Japanese baseball, teams over there reach a certain point with the player where if the player wants to go prove himself in the major leagues, they will allow that to happen. They are getting something out of it, right? The money. And if a player wants to go and you force him to stay, and that does happen, you risk having an unhappy player. I'm not quite sure the protocol is there, but that is the reason teams post it all. The money is a significant thing for them. And the other part of it is the player's desires. And the idea of the posting system is to protect Japanese baseball, right? To ensure that these players can be kept by their teams, or if they are let go, those teams receive a certain amount of money. But it seems to me that there is some kind of understanding, I guess you would call it, between the teams and players that at certain points, yes, if the player wants to go, he can go. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Andrew says, I saw the news about the Rays' new stadium proposal. It looks nice, but wasn't their complaint, other than the rundown stadium that they're playing in, that their current location was the problem to get fans, and now they want to build in the same area? Any insights on that? Andrew, it's a good question. And in fact, I had the same reaction. I checked with someone on this and was told that the proposal that became public the other day, the one we saw which was a new stadium, basically on the site of Tropicana Field with a roof, but kind of open air beneath the roof. I don't know how to describe it. Side panels, so to speak, I guess. And it was surrounded by quite a bit of development, which is not really the case at the Trop right now. It basically just sits in a parking lot. There are a few things around it, but not much. And the reason they're looking at this is because they're considering all options in the Tampa Bay area. This new idea of a stadium at the Tropicana Field site is one option. So they're keeping all their options open. They're talking to Tampa as well. And the question remains, how feasible is a new stadium in this environment, period? Can they get one built? And that remains to be seen. And they're going to keep looking at it. Rob Manfred has shown increasing impatience with the A's situation, not quite as impatient with the Rays. So we'll just have to wait and see some more how this plays out. For the team, as follow-up, I, I would imagine this system where you have the build-up around it. Like, this is what we have in Atlanta, right? With the, uh, there's hotels and there's apartments and there's stuff around it. It's what they yes. want in Oakland. It's what the New England Patriots have in Foxborough. It makes it like a destination. That's more attractive to the team in general, right? It seems like all the teams would love that formula if they had a place for it. Well, we've seen Liberty Media's financial records. They're the only publicly owned team in the United States. In Canada, we have the Blue Jays owned by the Rogers Corporation, also open their books, publicly traded. Liberty Media does quite well with the battery development around the Braves' new ballpark, Truist Park, and other teams, yes, want the same thing. The Cardinals have done it with Ballpark Village in St. Louis, and you're going to see this more and more because it is a big-time profit center. 
Uh, the Mets would love to do it, too, if they could get those chop shops out of Queens, I'm sure. Uh, they're working on that. That's right. Uh, all right. One more uh, question. It comes from Judd. He says, I understand the BBWAA ballot process, but how are the other committees decided? Bonds, Clements, and Palmero clearly had the numbers to get in. He means numbers while they were playing. But is there a threshold they have to reach to be considered in the future, or can they be considered in perpetuity by various committees? There is no reason that they cannot be considered in perpetuity. In other words, they can be considered again and again and again. But the question is, will the screening committees composed by BBWAA people, members of the Baseball Writers Association of America, keep putting the same players on if it doesn't appear that they have a chance and when other good players are available to be placed on those ballots? The contemporary era ballot the one we just saw with Bonds and Schilling and Clemens and all those guys, that was for 2023. It is not coming around to that committee again until 2026. There are other committees that will be in between in the interim. So by 2026, maybe the screening committee, and I know I'm using a lot of committees here, but there are a lot of committees. Maybe the screening committee decides, you know what, Bonds and Clemens, it's a waste of time. We've got players X, Y, and Z who might stand a better chance. Let's change it over. That could happen. And it would not be shocking to see that happen at all, but it's years away. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. But there's no formal reason why a Bonds or a Clemens can't be selected by that committee, the screening committee again, for consideration by the contemporary era committee. There's no reason that can't keep happening over and over again. All right. Great questions. As always, thanks. Keep them coming. As I said, we saved some this week because there were so many good ones. Uh, if you want to get your question in down the road, you can call us 646-543-7072 or email tabaseballshow at gmail.com. If you missed all the great content from last week, check it out on the feed. We ended up doing seven total podcasts over the course of the winter meetings week last week. So lots of great stuff there on all the moves that were made and more. Uh, one more show coming up on the feed this week. DV and Law will be coming at you on Thursday or Friday this week, so check back for that one. Three episodes next week before we head into the new year. If you want to join The Athletic, you can do that for $2 a month for 12 months right now. Go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And one more thing to check out, go to youtube.com slash at the athletic baseball show to check out all the great videos that we're starting to put up as well. A lot of stuff from the winter meetings on there. So subscribe to that channel. Uh, Ken, this is the last time we're going to be speaking uh, as far as the podcast goes in 2022. Hope that you and your family have a great holidays. You too, Tim. Thanks for everything this year, and I hope everyone out there has a great holiday season as well. All right, we'll talk to everybody again soon.